Bionni Warrior Podcast, Episode 11. What is Kali with Guru Joey Marana? All right, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of the Bionni Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Guru Mike Panna, Chief Instructor and Founder of the Bionni Warrior Martial Arts Academy, located right here in the sunny Dallas, Texas area. Um, in today's episode, uh, we're going to talk to my very dear friend, Guru Joey Marana. Uh, Guru Joey and I go way back. We actually met at a Sayakali Sama Sama uh, several years ago. And over the years, we've uh, kept in touch, uh, not just as Filipino martial arts uh, training partners in the Sayakanatianza tribes, uh, but also as just good friends. Um, you know, we talk about fatherhood, faith, martial arts, of course. And uh, in this episode, we'll actually just be sitting down and talking about the identity of what it means to be a Filipino martial arts practitioner, as well as what it means uh, to have a true Filipino martial art. Uh, we also talk about themes such as Filipino-American identity, uh, which is very fitting for the month of October, being that it is Filipino-American History Month. So without further ado, here's my interview with Guru Joey Marana. Hey, brother. What's going on, man? Not too much, man. You know, just busy. How about you? How have you been? I'm good, man. I'm glad to have you on, and uh, I know this is way overdue. I've been listening to your podcast. By the way, I'm uh, going to put that in the show notes to make sure that everybody has that. But uh, for everyone listening, this is uh, Guru Joey Marana from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, he is actually a good friend of mine from the Sayak tribe. We've been uh, training for quite some time now, although it's been a few years since we've hung out and trained with each other. Uh, but we definitely have been uh, keeping in touch, you know, talking about fatherhood and FMA and all those cool things. And so today's episode, uh, we're just going to discuss something that's close to our heart and it's kind of the state of where uh kali and arnis and eskrima is right now um is you know we always have these discussions and we figured it'd be probably be best if we held this on a podcast so um so one of the things i'm not sure if you've actually experienced this so one of the first things i want to kind of discuss today um and i'm not sure if you've experienced this yourself but um what I'm getting this question all the time, like, what is Kali? I think uh, people are very familiar with martial arts. I think there's even, you know, years ago, people are we're, we're hearing about um, uh, Filipino martial arts. But when I mention Kali here in Texas or anywhere I go, I kind of feel like I have to do this description of what I'm what I do. It's like, oh, usually the conversation probably goes like this. It's like, oh, um, I do martial arts. It's like, oh, what kind of martial art do you do? Is it like karate? And I say, well, no, not really. What is it called? It's called Kali. And then I have to go like through this whole Wikipedia-ish spiel, right, about how it goes. So yep. like in your experience, what has been a, what, what has been your experience being a Kali practitioner? How has it affected uh, the way you interact with other martial artists? And how do you explain what Kali is to outside people? Well, I think just like with, you know, probably with anything through our life or through our lives, um, what what Kali is to me and, and what it means to me, I think, has evolved uh, through different stages. And so certainly there's a side where Kali is sort of the, uh, for lack of a better generalization, you know, like the, the martial art or the martial art systems of the Philippines or Filipino-Americans. And, you know, like it's, it's kind of a very broad thing. Yeah. Um, so actually uh, today, because we did this uh, pilot program for a Filipino cultural school in Baltimore, mm -hmm. and um, you know even kids and even their parents who are you know who would be like our peers, they don't really know what Kali is. And so a lot of times I will start it off and say, you know, who has ever heard of kung fu? Who has heard of karate? 
uh, who has heard of whatever, you know, and whatever kind of martial art. And then I'll ask them, you know, well, where do you think kung, where do you think kung fu comes from, or where does karate come from, where does uh, taekwondo come from? And people will say the different countries. And uh, in general, I will, you know, as an introduction, I'll just say like, well, Kali or Filipino martial arts or what, whatever term there is from the Philippines. I'll say that's the name of the martial arts that came from the Philippines, and that's that is true. And I like. I believe, even though that's a simple version for me to explain what Kali is, that's what I hold it to be. But personally, it means a lot more. And so uh, I think through the years, obviously, and you know this, there's like so much, um, I wouldn't, sometimes disagreement, but there's some debate as to like uh, the, the termina uh, terminology of Kali or Screamer or Nice and all these other things. Um, but I think some of the things that have been universal to me, whether it's uh, Sayo Kali, Atienza Kali, um, Gurudan, you know, the Inosanto method of Filipino martial arts, whatever it is. Uh, I, I do use a lot of uh, Tohon Rafael Kayanan's uh, terminology and descriptors because I feel like they best articulate what I'm trying to describe and what I'm trying to say. And obviously, you know, I, that's a huge influence on the way I conceptualize things. Mm. But Kali to me is also like the movement language and uh, like personality and culture of basically martial expression that started or was influenced by the Philippines. Mm. Obviously, you and I train in systems that were not necessarily born and cradled and nurtured to grow up in the Philippines. I mean, they may have had roots there, mm. but just like with most things too, they've evolved. Um, but I also think that Filipino martial arts in general, whether it's Kali or whatever, whatever term people are using, um, certainly there's an element of like, uh, motion, mm -hmm. um, and there's the element of, uh, like play and I don't want to say like university, uh, universality, but like universals, mm -hmm. you know, so whether we learn like, um, a palm stick, you know, we can translate it to that, to, um, tactical flashlight or tactical pen or a regular flashlight or a regular pen, yeah. you know, what it would be. And then, um. I had an instructor like many years ago that he was like, Joe, you know, Eskrima is, um, is mastery of the weapon, whatever the weapon is, uh, the weapon could just be your, your own hands. Um, but he described it and I'm, I was heavily influenced by this too. This was, um, uh, guru Ramon Rubia of, uh, San Miguel and Dos Iparas. He was like, you know, Eskrima is mastery of the weapon, mastery of weaponry. Um, but it's also the, the concept that, uh, you know, back in the day, they would talk about how arnis was a derivative of arnes, like a mm -hmm. harness, like a Spanish harness or trapping. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Guru Dan talks about how Kali, the terminology that he uses, Kali, comes from um, Flora Villabreo that you that combine, and not just uh, Villabreo, but like the instructors that combine Kamot and Lihok, mm -hmm. Mai and Likot, yeah. to make Kali so sort of like a, a hand motion or body motion. So... Ramon was saying that like this idea of motion is not just like the motion of the technique, but the mo like the motion itself is the armor, it's the shield, it's the weapon. So instead of purely just a physical shield or a tangible, you know, blade or whatever, mm -hmm. it's the movement themselves that are both the weapons as well as the uh, protective the protective trappings, if you will. 
Right. That, that, that's really good because, you know, I had a student recently, um, Brian, shout out to you if you're listening to this, but uh, he actually asked me a few months ago, he actually posed this very interesting question. And the reason I bring this question up is because I think it kind of forced me to kind of find the the real root of what Kali is, if I had to describe it. And so his question was kind of interesting. He basically said, well, let's say, hypothetically speaking, let's say uh, you got a Filipino guy from the Philippines, right? And he was a quote-unquote Kali master or Arnisador or whatever. And now this guy immigrates to China. And now he lives in China and he marries a Chinese woman and he teaches his children who are half Chinese this Kali system. And 100 years passes, this system is handed down generation by generation. Is it now Kung Fu? at the end of that, right? It was a really interesting question. I was like, yeah. man, I really got to think about this. So, when, and so his, really he was asking me this in terms of, you know, what really, what defines Filipino martial arts? I mean, really what is to say that this is Filipino and this is not? And you're probably familiar with this too because if you read books like Filipino martial culture or if you go to most, even in the Philippines today, I was in the Philippines last summer around this time, um, and Filipinos uh, overall in the Philippines don't really care about Filipino martial arts. They don't really care about Eskrima or Arnis. For the most part, they're into Taekwondo. They're into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. is a huge thing there now. Um, you know, and it kind of makes you wonder, well, is a Filipino doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the Philippines? Technically, isn't that a Filipino martial art, right? And so I thought about it, and I said, well, I, I got to narrow it down to, you know, three main things. Um, for me, when people ask me now what Kali is, I say simply it is a... It is whatever answers or solves the problem that is presented in front of you at the time. So, and the reason I say that is because we as Filipino Americans, I mean, you and I look at Filipino martial arts through a very different lens, right? Like we look at it like, oh, there's this warrior culture we're part of and this art enables us to kind of, you know, connect to this very primal, very ancient way that our ancestors did, which kind of fortifies us and kind of connects us to our past and also teaches us, you know, self-defense and all these other things, you know, combatives. But, you know, when I was talking to some Filipino guys over in the Philippines, as well as elders of mine um, in my family, as well as my friends' families, there was this one individual I met. He was actually a soldier during World War II. Uh, he passed away about three or four years ago. But um, he said to me, he's like, I don't understand why you train with bolos. This is an old Filipino man. Maybe he must have been 78 at the time. And I said, well, what, why? Like, weren't you in World War II? You, you must have seen this. He's like, yeah, but you didn't fight with a bolo i mean i had 245s you know why would i fight with a bolo if i had 245s and so i'm thinking like well technically that's what solves the problem he had what yeah. he had right but is it kali and i know that we can't say it is per se but <clears throat> the filipino mindset behind fighting is that it is whatever solves the problem that's in front of me right now so if all i have is a bolo and there's a guy with a blade that's what I'm going to use. Or if this guy has a rifle and all I have is a spear or a sword, I this is what I have to use to solve this problem. However, I'm pretty sure if I can go back in time with 20 Glocks and give it to like a bunch of natives or like, you know, Indios, quote unquote, during the the, the revolution, the Philippine-American revolution, you know what I mean? During the Spanish war there. Um, I'm pretty sure that would change the game. They probably wouldn't like, oh, forget these. I'm getting these Glocks, you know, so for me Filipino martial arts at the core it has to be something that solves a problem and that problem is violence right Filipinos aren't really big on as you probably know this they're not very big on um necessarily documenting their martial art or organizing it it and if you look at most systems outside of the Sayak tribe or out of the Atienza tribe they're not very well organized I mean they, they they're pretty haphazard I mean in America we're, we understand curriculum we understand 
progression and curriculum. But in the Philippines, it was like, okay, well, here it is. Here's a stick. Here's a blade. Here's some angles. Okay, now learn this stuff, drill it a little bit, and next week we go to war. Yeah. So it, it, there's this element of it has to work. It, we don't care about you know, uh, lineage or whatever. This is just something that we use. I mean, when I would speak to my father, you know, he had some street experience back in the Philippines. His whole thing was, you know, we didn't carry knives because people would search us. Our teachers would search our backpacks. They would pat us down. It was like one of those things. So the way he solved that problem was let's get some, uh, spin tops, those wooden spin tops, shave down the blades, the nails in them. And those are going to be our fist loads. I want to punch people in the face with those. Nice. That was his mindset. That was their yeah. mindset. His whole crew of guys, his barcada, that's their whole thing. They all carried spin tops, which is kind of interesting because, you know, we're spending, you know, we got blades. I got barongs and bolos and all these live blades. And then my dad's like, no, I carried this. And it's a spin top, you know, out of all things. And so for me at the core of it, it has to work. It has to be functional. It has to solve whatever problem is there at the time. And the second thing, it has to be based upon some kind of blade. It has to be bladed at the core because if you look at – most Filipino martial arts now that are stick-based, they can kind of assume a structure almost karate-ish, almost taekwondo-ish, mm -hmm. right? You've probably seen this. But the moment you put a blade in there, and they're not, you know, just sayang with a blade. I mean, they're fighting. Something else has to come out. There has to be, a, mm -hmm. you know, a different level of skill and intent. And so at some point, I don't care what the system is. Of course, we come from, you know, the two-top blade system, Sakana Tienza, you know. Uh, we, we see this through a very specific lens. But even outside of those realms... I feel that a true Filipino martial art has to be blade-based. Not to say that's the only thing that they do, but it has to be. It has to kind of go back to that at some point. So, number one, it has to work. It has to solve whatever problems in front of you. Two, the blade has to be there. It has to be blade-based in some capacity. It has to have some level of where if I give this guy a blade, he'll know how to use it properly. And the third thing I would say it has, and this is something that's very specific to our Sakura training, which really lit the light bulb in my mind about this. It has to be family-based. And I'm not saying it has to be just bloodline, but I'm saying like what we're taught in Atienza Kali, you know, what makes that system particularly different is that it's not about how good you are with a blade. It's also about how you use that blade in interaction with the people in your tribe. Yeah. Are your kids trained to some level you know, are your elders, are they aware of what you do? It's how you integrate everything together. You know, like I remember there was this one scenario that Tuan Carl presented. I think it was to our friend Irvin Kinton over in uh, Virginia Beach on one of his podcast episodes. And I remember he was saying, it's like, okay, well, you're great with a blade. Okay, awesome. Now, what if you have to run from a gang and now you have to, you have your like 58 year old diabetic aunt with you? And you have to protect her. How good are you then? Mm -hmm. So it's an interaction yeah. with how it works with the family. So, And traditionally, Filipino martial arts was really just taught within the family or to friends of the family. And it didn't matter if they were Filipino or not, right? It just it had to be within your circle or your barcada, right? So um, I think that's how I would describe it. And I know that it's kind of tough because I try to explain this to people. And you still got to go through this whole speech about what it is. But at the core, it has to work. The blade's involved, and it has to involve the family. It has to be brought in. And I really like what you said earlier about is the mastery of weaponry. Because so many people, like I just came from the Kickstart Kids Conference, which 98% of them are Taekwondo, Hapkido, you know, Tang Sudo, Karate Black Belts. 
and I'm the one guy who does Kali. I'm not a karate guy. I don't wear a gi. I didn't even know how to put on a gi until I started this job. Yes. <laughs> you know, I didn't know any of that. And here I am with all these individuals, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, Kali, awesome. That's cool. Anyway, or it's relegated to just like, oh, I do that the double stick drill. What's it called? Heaven, Earth? What is it called? Like the, yeah. It's like they relegate it to just a drill, or they relegate to just, you know, a, a, a move that they know. But they don't realize that there's this entire combative art that's behind that thing and so that's why i think it's so important to know what it is so when we explain it they see oh wait a second this is not an add-on art it is not just a supplemental art this is my art you know what i'm saying it's interesting i mean this is like a big uh, i feel like this ties into like a whole bunch of things so i'm gonna go all over the place for a go minute for here but, go for it and i remember like really vending to a good friend of mine and i was like you know this this is rap this is not hip-hop and uh, he was like, well, you can't say that it's not hip-hop. And I'd be like, well, it doesn't fall into like this culture and this theme and this attitude of hip-hop, which was born and cradled in the Bronx, you know, in New right. York, and these right. five elements of like rhyming and uh, DJing and b-boying and graffiti, all the, the whole gamut. And he's like, well, just because it doesn't fit into your definition and construct of hip-hop, doesn't mean that's not hip hop. And that was like a big check for me because yeah. I thought, I mean, I was like a young kid, but I was like in the scene, you know, I'd go to all these battles, like, like yeah, yeah. black book that I'd have these like graffiti guys to write in and stuff. And so I felt yeah. like I had some authority right. to say, I, I was very proud of my idea that I wasn't uh, um, like a observer, mm -hmm. that I wasn't a bystander to hip hop, that I was a participant. I helped, I helped create and pe perpetuate the culture. That was my, my belief at the time mm. I don't I'm not anymore I'm just a fan right I'm yeah, just yeah. like I'm not even in I'm not even plugged in I'm like not in the matrix at all yeah, yeah. but um you know that was, that was like a big check for me the other thing too is it's it's very reminiscent of all these like weird uh like very personal and heated debates sometimes about like well what is Jeet Kune Do right because if you just read the, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do and you're like, well, I'll just absorb what's useful, discard what's useless. And a lot of people just take it and they just end it there. In reality, it's supposed to, you know, include that you're supposed to research your own experience and add something specifically that's your own. But people will make all kinds of things and be like, well, those guys, they say they're Jeet Kune Do because they trained with Bruce Lee, but they're just doing stuff from 1968. And then right. meanwhile, there's this like this joker over here that's wherever from Virginia or some other place that pretty much does Taekwondo and then tells everyone that he teaches Jeet Kune Do because he read the book. Right. Right. So a lot of people have asked uh, Guru Dan this over, over the years, like basically what is Jeet Kune Do? What do you think Jeet Kune Do is? And I'm not going to go into a whole big thing about all, all whatever things I re remember about his interviews and, uh, and writings, but you know, he holds firm, I think, he holds firm to the fact that, you know, however, whatever the mix or constitution or ratios are, there's some element that still ties it into the Jeet Kune Do that Bruce Lee was teaching and and advocating for. But there is an element, too, that's like the changes with the times and all these other things, too. Right. Um, so certainly with Kali, I think you can go on both ends of the spectrum. They're like, oh, no, Kali it has to come from the Philippines. It has to come from like um, Supreme Grandmaster, you know, so and so. <laughs> Supreme Grandmaster uh, Boy Boy, who came from the province, and uh, he only used, you know, whatever like, uh, right. you know, farming implement 
Um, but then there's a, this whole other thing that Gurdan often says that his uh, seniors, his instructors always told him, and I'm going to butcher it, but I will try. Like the phrase, I, I mean, I'll just, I'll try, and then I'll just say it in English the best that I can remember. Mm-hmm. But it was like this kind of like, um, kind of like a query back and forth that's like a anongkali, ikawangkali, itoangkali. This is like a great example of how I'm definitely not Filipino. It's basically, <laughs> what is Kali? You are Kali. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is true Kali. And mm-hmm. so there is an element to there's a spirit, I wouldn't take it literally, that like the things that we do, it may not match exactly what they did 100 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in Mindanao. Right. But what we do, I would probably say what we do influenced by the themes and the things that drive us, kind of like the core universals and principles, um, certainly that have to do with the weaponry, certainly mm-hmm. that, that uh, call and recall the blade. Right. Um, certainly they have to do with motion that are influenced in the Philippines. I think all those things are true. Like I, I think Kali is all of those things. I don't really think it can be just anything, but I right. certainly think it has to have those elements that you talked about. It's almost like people have, well, like they'll, they'll make all these, like, uh, they think they're like so clever and be like, Oh, in Thailand is, uh, Thai food. Isn't that just called food? Yeah. Right, that's right. yes. Yes. Very, very insightful. But yeah. you know, there's, there's like a flavor and a palate to Thai food, and I'm not by any means like a Thai food connoisseur. But like, there's a there's like a flavor palette and mixture to Thai food that wherever it is in the world. So if if someone had some like um, pad Thai recipe and they went to China, but they kept it and that pad Thai recipe existed for generations or hundreds of years in China, would it then be lo mein or would it be pad Thai? Right. I would probably argue that it's still pad Thai. Right. Like. Maybe in China they call it lo mein because that's what it is there, mm-hmm. but the origin of it is still pad thai. Now, can pad thai be made in other? Of course, it can. And does does one family? I'm sure it's just like in the Philippines. Does one family's adobo match another family? No, of course not. Right, not absolutely. Not. I, that's a good example. Filipino food has so much variety, so much variation. People will say like, "What is Filipino food? Is it a mix between like Spanish cuisine and Chinese cuisine? Is it is these in, indigenous things?" You know, so adobo, some some people it's like real uh, vinegary and acidic. Yeah. Some people it's sweet. Some people have potatoes, whatever it is. Yeah. It's hard really to say like what is Filipino for me as as not like a chef or some kind of food connoisseur. Right. What is Filipino food or what is adobo even? But we know it has these like basic ingredients. Now, can someone make some weird adobo that I'd be like, no, this is that's the wor- that's like <laughs> absolutely adobo. That's the worst thing I've ever tasted. Yeah, I'm sure. But I right. think it, it would still be in the spirit of adobo. Um, and so at the very least, it would have to harken back to that. Now, if someone changed all the variables and they're like, well, um, I mean, I guess you could change any variable. But let's say they just made it like tofu and instead of soy sauce, they just used right. like barbecue sauce. They just changed everything. Right. Would it really be adobo? Ah, well, well, that's the I, thing, isn't it? I mean, it, it's – there is a framework, right? There is a framework in which, you know, we, there, we have to uh, kind of stick to, right? Like we can't just, you know, just call it whatever we want. Go back to your original point, you know, it ha- it is the mastery of weaponry. It has to involve weapons. I, I don't think it would be fair to say that Kali, like if I had an empty hand Kali system, yeah, I don't think like I could call it. Yeah. Right. I, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to call it a Kali system. 
Um, yeah. And the thing is, if you go to the Philippines, you'll see things like Yaoyan. You'll mm-hmm. see kind of a resurgence of Sikaran or, you know, these other empty-handed Filipino martial arts because not necessarily because that's what Filipinos are facing on the street. They're not fighting empty-handed on the street still, but that is what martial arts is to them. It yeah. is an empty hand style. Um, it's reflecting upon what is big now in the martial arts world, which is MMA. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for them, that is what a martial arts should look like. And so I think a lot of and – I, I, and I think that there's this, this – one of our flaws as Filipino martial artists is that, yes, I believe it's important to be well-rounded. But I think it's like too many Kali guys try to be everything to everyone. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, we have stick, but we also have blade and we also have empty hands. We have all of that. And I'm like, well, yeah. yes and no. I mean, we do, but we're really good at this. And there's certain yeah. Kali styles that are really good at certain things like Sakali. Uh, it, it has everything right. I mean, there's it, from the mindset, the thought process, everything to the how the information is distributed to the blade. Everything has stick fighting everything, mm-hmm. but it was really well known for the knife. Yeah, it's it's what and I think Manong Dan, we spoke to Tuan Harley. That's what he said. He's like, you know, they're specialists. He referred to this mm-hmm. as specialists, right, in the knife. Yeah. Of course, they have a lot of other things that they have, and they're incredible. But when it comes to what they're known for, that's what they're known for, right? Atienzakali, known for long blade, mostly mm-hmm. long blade. Is that to say that Tuan Carl cannot fight with a two inch blade? Of course he can. Doesn't mean that we're not trained to fight with knives, but. That's the basis of everything. If you look at something like um, San Miguel Escrima, the hmm. basis of that art is stick and dagger, for the most part, or spotty, not even sword and dagger. So, yes, Filipino martial arts involves the blade. Yes, it, it involves being well-rounded in all these areas. But I think it's important to note that as a Filipino Kali practitioner, you have to be know that you're a weapons guy first. Yeah, everything yeah, is after that because um, Manny Pacquiao mm-hmm. is not. I wouldn't say that's Kali. Right now, there's Kali. There's empty hand Kali that that will overlap and probably look very much like that. Right. I wouldn't say it's Kali. Also, if you have you know like those uh, there's all these Filipino like competitive shooters. They're like three gun or oh god. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. history of Filipinos that are like awesome yeah. shooters. Um, I also wouldn't say that that's Kali because I think and they are weapons. But I think it also goes back to what you were saying that that there it is weaponry. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. In some form, it has to it has to connect to the blade. Now maybe yeah. hundreds of years ago they stopped and they just started using sticks and then whatever. I mean maybe it doesn't now. Right. But at some point there was some blade influence. That's what I would say. No, absolutely. And I think for it to be a true Kali art, the true Filipino martial art. It has to have that element of edge awareness. Um, Movements have to understand. Like one of the things that I've noticed is like a lot of – and you've probably seen this. Like these guys like, I teach Filipino martial arts and I also do Muay Thai and I also do jiu-jitsu. And when they fight, they just look like they're doing Muay Thai and jiu-jitsu. Yeah, yeah. But they don't look like they're actually doing Kali, and their Kali is very yeah. rudimentary. It's just like angle ones and roof blocks. I mean there's nothing yeah. really going on. Or low leg shots, right? So – there has to be this element of edge awareness. There has to be this element of respect for the weapon, not just your the weapon of your opponents, but also your the weapon you're holding, so you don't accidentally stab yourself, right? So there's this element of precision, and I think that's what I would describe it as. You know, when I think of a true Kalista, a true practitioner of the art, it it has to really. I would have to say it's Tuan Carl. I mean, I'm not saying that like you know, there's no other practitioners of this art, but what I think about in my mind what the quintessential um, Filipino style looks like 
it would have to be two on Carl only because he's fluid. He everything he does looks like he has a blade in his hand. If you yeah. look at footage of Tatang Ilustrissimo, Antonio Ilustrissimo, the vintage footage of him, same thing. Anything you put in his hand, it was like it doesn't matter if he was doing empty hand work. It didn't matter if you he was, you were putting a stick in the hand. It was a blade. So I think that's what it would have to come down to. The blade is definitely a part of the whole formula. Um, you know what I mean? And I would, I would say you know, um, Tohan Raf talks a lot about movement languages for, through different martial arts. So like right. Wushu has a different movement language than uh, like Shotokan Karate right. or Muay Thai or even Kali. Right. Um, and I would say that probably some things uh, – I would probably say that there's some martial arts whose movement language is sort of like its signature um, – it's like its signature and they rely on that movement language to signaturize the system. Does that make sense? So like right. something to Hong Carl, to Tatong uh, – uh, illustrissimo to any other any other like blade blade master right and I exactly can picture what you've seen when um, I think the thing is with Kali it's not the techniques it's if if not the techniques if anything it's the movement or the movement language that uh, signaturize what Kali is and so you can have a bunch of guys like um, you know rock and robots that are just doing roof blocks right. and heavy number ones um, but uh, not that that's not a, not that that's not influenced by the blade, but it it's uh, it's one of Harley sometimes will call we'll talk about like generational uh, gap or generational deficit from mm-hmm. like one generation to another. There's some like residual loss either in skill or movement or knowledge or whatever it would be. I'd almost say a, a very similar thing too. So I'd probably say like the further people get from the blade, uh, there there's more there's more variance or variation in that right. movement language. You know, when people are moving, I mean, it's probably why the, you know universally there's certain movements, whether it's like fencers from Europe or uh, or France mm-hmm. or um, blade guys from the Philippines. There's a lot of universals in those too because it's right. movement language is directly influenced by the call and the function um, and the form of a blade. No, and absolutely, that's so true because the blade, it doesn't matter what culture it is, there is a language, like you're saying, a movement and a mindset. Like if you read Book of Five Rings by Miyamoto mm-hmm. Musashi, yes. I did not appreciate that book until I became an Atienza Kali instructor. Yes, 100%. Be- right? Because when I read that, I hear Tuan Carl's voice. Mm-hmm. I hear his voice, I'm like, I'm reading this book and I'm like, these lessons are it's like, I know what this feels like. I understand. A lot of guys read Book of Five Rings as like a business book or like a book on strategy yeah. for life. And yeah, I'm sure you could do that. But at the end of the day, that book was designed to teach swordsmen how to kill other swordsmen. And yeah. so when you study a real true sword art like Atienza Kali, um, you're going to find that. You know, yeah. that point of, you know, where does it kind of drift? You know, where does you know, Filipino martial arts kind of go off the path, I would have to say it's, you know, what we've been good at for thousands of years, which is blade work. And I'm not saying that's all the art should be. I know there's a lot of Filipino Kali purists who are like, you know, I get these comments on my YouTube videos all the time. It's like, oh, you're not a true... I can tell these guys are from the the Philippines because one, their English is different. Their Taglish is different. And two, they're like, you know, you're just an American boy. You know, you didn't grow up here. You know, you don't know what this is all about. And I'm like, well, I could tell you right now that most of your ma- – the masters in the world – and I get this question a lot. I was actually asked this by a karate black belt recently. He's like, you know, I'm going to go to the Philippines soon. Like, who should I train with? And I'm like, honestly, dude, 
I'm not saying there's no good teachers there, but the best teachers in the world are probably here in the West right now. Yeah, they probably right. left. They're all here, and so, you know, the there's this idea of purity, Filipino Kali purity. What exactly is it? I mean, I don't know if we can. You know, that, that's probably a topic for an entire different podcast yeah. episode. But being that we're talking about what Kali is. I think a pure Kali art, it's going to be kind of hard to define. It's almost like, you know, I'm Filipino. I teach Filipino martial arts, but I also live in Texas. You know, I eat adobo and I eat rice and I eat lumpia. Actually, what's interesting here in Texas, all the Filipinos that I've met, I'm not saying they don't call it lumpia, but they refer to it as egg rolls. Yeah, that, I, yeah. I mean, just, it, it is what it is because that's how they called it. I mean, that's when you yeah. describe it to non-Filipinos or non-Asians, it's like this is an egg roll, right? So, yeah. I mean, but I also eat brisket. I eat tacos. I swing a kettlebell. Yep. Kettlebells are Asian, are not Asian. They are Russian. Am I supposed to stop swinging a kettlebell around? You know. So I think there's this sense of there's this definitely this sense of we got to kind of cancel out the idea of purity because a pure Filipino martial art really comes down to you know the individual. And I think I even asked this to Tuan I think it was Tuan Bong or Tuan Carl a few years ago. They're like you know we are the Filipino in Filipino martial arts. You know, as a Filipino, it is your divine. And, you know, when we talk about, like, the purity of a system, I mean, you know, again, every Filipino martial arts, I mean, one of my favorite examples is Jose Rizal, the national hero of the Philippines. You know, this is a guy who, you know, he wasn't necessarily known as being a combatant, but there are, you know, people and historical records stating that he was a fencer, he was a shooter, marksman. Um, I believe I read somewhere that he had... He was the first jujitsu Japanese jujitsu black belt in the Philippines. Like he actually traveled, he trained with a jujitsu master and came back, and he was a black belt in the art. And no one in the Philippines have heard, had heard about jujitsu until he came and brought about it. And there are some suggestions that he was an arnisador, that he opened up the first arnis club in the Philippines. But you know, truthfully, you know, he was a fencer, and I see there's this beautiful picture of him with a forward lunge and a thrust. He's, I think he's fencing Juan Luna. And am I supposed to say, like, well, he did fencing. Does that make him less of a Filipino because he did fencing? Does it make Joey Marana less of a Filipino because he listens to hip-hop? Because last time I checked, hip-hop was not from Manila, right? Yeah. So there's this question of purity. There's this question of lineage. And I think a big part of that are, truthfully, Filipinos trying to – like, when a Filipino from the Philippines accuses me of not being Filipino enough, I think they're doing that because they're asking, well, am I really Filipino enough? And I'm from the Philippines, yeah. you know, because yeah. they're asking themselves like people will ask them, well, isn't a Filipino just like an Asian Mexican, <laughs> you know, like they'll say things like that. Well, no, there's more to it. We have Malay roots. We have in Indian roots. We have Persian roots. We have, yeah. you know, all the Spanish roots. I mean, we have all these different things. So I think because of our ethnic diversity and our, cult, and, you know, this multiculturalism and colonialism that's happened over the last few hundred years, it's kind of hard for us to kind of put our our, our finger on exactly what we are. In a way, I wonder if that's you know. directly tied in then, you know, yeah. to like this whole phenomenon of what is Kali, because there's a whole, I mean, there's a whole big thing about like, what does it mean to be Filipino? Right. Like what, you know, like in some ways, I mean, obviously you and I are American. My American right. identity is very strong. Right. Like it's very strong within me, me you know, too. like yeah. I, I don't identify with any other nationality. And as an American, I feel like there's certain things that we can point to that have to do with being American mm-hmm. that are not. Be, we're not American because we speak English and because mm-hmm. we eat um, McDonald's. 
Right. But when people talk about what it means to be Filipino, especially in the Philippines, I feel from an outsider's perspective, I feel like a lot of times it's like uh, speaking Tagalog or, right. or whatever dialect and eating that food. So right. uh, especially me, like me, Joey Marana, when I yeah. go to places like, oh, like, because I'm also a nurse. So when right, people right. are like, Hindi na marunong Tagalog? And I'm yeah, like, no, yeah. you barely say that. And they're like, oh, well, you're not Filipino. Or they're right. like, hey, you know, um, hey, there's someone brought like leche flan. And I'm like, oh, actually, I don't, I don't really, I don't really like leche flan that much. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? You know, like, so people, it's interesting. Filipinos will be like, well, you're, you're really Filipino if you can speak the language mm-hmm. and if you love the food. Right. But that's not what define. like, I mean, there's many other things that, that define other identities and cultures. Mm-hmm. But I think that the, the the complex or the, I don't want to say the problem, but like the, the challenge of defining what Filipino is in and of itself as a people or a nation or an identity, mm-hmm. I think is directly reflected in uh, Filipino martial arts. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Right. I think it's because it comes from so many sources that can do all these different things. I, I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it also makes it hard for you and I to go to whatever, so like uh, some convention, martial arts convention, mm-hmm. And be like, oh yeah. Well, nowadays it might be different. It'd be hard for us to go to elementary school, mm-hmm. talk to a bunch of parents that don't know anything about martial arts in general at all. Right. Say, oh, well, we practice kali, and we teach kali, and they'll be like, oh yeah, I know what that is. You right. know, like people don't know what that is, and right. that's not a bad thing. It just makes it more of a. I think what it does is probably just like this actual conversation, right. it makes us really dive deep and think about like, well, what is it that makes us calling? Because it's not a roof block and an angle one and uh, you know a, a five count cycling drill. That's right. not what makes it Kali. Right. Um, there's a lot of other things that are important to us. Mm-hmm. And I think those things, those things are good. It's, it's good that it's, I think it's in some ways, it's good that it's uh, multifaceted, mm-hmm. you know, uh, again, like what, uh, echoing a lot of um, Tone Raft's sentiments sometimes, like, we don't pride ourselves in flying a simplicity flag. We're not like, hey, look, it's, look at this simple solution. Like, look right. how ingenious we are. We have this simple solution. We are as complex as we need to be to right. make it fully functional to solve the problems that we need to solve. Amen. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, <clears throat> when people talk about, you know, I, I, I think I've, wrote, I've written a blog about this in the past. You know, I, I, I believe that eventually Kali is going to be the next big martial art. I think it's going to, not to say it's not a big martial art now, but right now, if you're a Kali practitioner, you're pretty much like, what is the image of a Kali practitioner? You know, if I were to say, what's the image of a Taekwondo practitioner or a karate black belt or a judo or jujitsu guy like there's an image right and right now the Kali guy it's like the dude with the sticks and the training knives and he's in his garage and he's training in his garage and it's kind of relegated to the backyard of the garage and there's nothing wrong with that you know I mean we come from a background where that is how we learned when I was interviewing Mm -hmm. Father Leo Paralinghug you know um, you know Master Kakoy you know the late Kakoy Kenyette would be throwing around in his backyard I mean that was just Mm -hmm. part of his life I mean it was just there's this intimacy about Kali and Filipino martial arts that's very beautiful I think a lot of people who are the you know the quote unquote Kali purists you know when they find out that I'm opening a martial arts school and I'm teaching a Filipino martial arts school and I, you know, I'm teaching Filipino martial art, you know, f- you know, teaching it, you know, to everybody I can, you know, it's almost like, and you're, you're trying to open a school with mats and that's not real Filipino martial arts. I think there's actually a, a Facebook group or something. It's like, 
the garage martial artist group and it's cool because you're you're training in your garage and you don't need any of that commercialism but yeah. you know the truth is i mean there's going to be a point where kali and mark my words you know kali is going to be the next big thing in martial arts right now it's mma every martial art that has essentially become the martial art of its era in america has always the next art that looked like it could defeat the previous art was the art that everyone learned so like great example in the 80s it was all about karate right 80s 70s <clears throat> karate kickboxing kung fu and all of a sudden this guy with a white gi called hoist gracie walks into an octagon and starts tapping these guys out choking them out bigger guys smaller guys everyone in between didn't matter what style they came from and all of a sudden people go that's what i need to learn and then eventually people say well jujitsu's awesome but we got to put something else to it Let's do MMA. So now people start fusing all these different things. Now, what is the only logical art that could defeat MMA? It has to be ours. Yeah. It, that's, how, that's how it is. The blade defeats everything that you do, MMA guy. Like, that's just how it is. Now, I'm not saying it's bad. Um, and in fact, I encourage my college students to, hey, listen, if you can meet up with an MMA guy and learn a few things, why not? You know, because there's a level of resistance. They have an element of athleticism and resistance. If you can deal with what they're doing, you know, the average punk on the street's not going to be able to, you know, hurt, punch you or kick you. So there's an element of definitely a huge value of in MMA and learning it. But I would say that past that, Kali is the next level up. It is. And I was actually sitting down with a gentleman by the name of Robert Sapp. He's actually a Chun Cook Doe black belt under Chuck Norris. He's part of the Kickstarter Kids program alongside me. And he said to me, we're having breakfast at this recent conference, kind of like their Sama Sama or their Call of the Mountain. Like it's this Kickstart Kids conference in Houston that's held once every year. And we're sitting at breakfast one day in the hotel. And he goes, you know, Kali for me, he said, he's like, he's like, I've never had a whole lot of training in it. But he said, Kali personally for me is that art that you learn after you learn everything else. When you realize that you've seen everything, Kali is like, that's what I need to learn. But the other thing that I completely agree. Yeah. And I do think in a, in a linear, logical progression, mm -hmm. you're exactly right. The other element, though, is um, I think a, a lot of – I mean, it's not without its origins and maybe even good reasons, but there is the whole element of – I don't know. I, I think probably like a mix of denial, mm -hmm. a mix of fear, a mix of uh, having the responsibility to acknowledge like certain things. I mean – in any true any true person that's in, interested in self defense, I, I feel like has to at at the very least consider firearms, right? right? But you can have guys, you can have karate guys, decades deep in whatever karate system, and will not want to touch a gun, right? And still think, and I've heard this from karate guys, yeah, that if your karate is, if your pure karate is good enough, that you don't need to learn anything about guns. And that's, I mean, mm -hmm. who knows? Maybe that's true. And I'm because I'm not a karate guy, maybe I just don't have the secrets and I don't have the insight. You don't mouth. have the dim mock, Guru Joey. Come yeah. on. You don't have the, the death touch, man. But from my perspective, <laughs> um, I certainly think uh, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. But there is this whole, like, movable, emotional process where people at, at some point will be like, uh, well... This is going to change the game. Once I acknowledge this, mm -hmm. then it's not just about learning like a stick form yeah. or a knife pattern or even how to like – or even buying a gun. It right. would have to increase everything. And that's like – I think that's why things like um, Sayokali or Atiyanzakali can seem probably overwhelming to some people because it's so vast. Right. Because it's no longer <laughs> just a 
technique is no longer like a two-man set, like a some weird, uh, you know, what was that movie with uh, where they had like they had like these gun gun katas? It's not that. I mean, if, if that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, equilibrium, yeah, <laughs> that's right. But um, it's really like a whole lot of things, and once you acknowledge that, then guess what? You better think about how to deal with like your how to manage a situation when your family's with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you do not have a blade, uh, if comms are down, yeah. if someone gets medically, you know, needs some like medical intervention, if you're with, you know, it just opens up a whole nother thing. And in my opinion, that's a very scary and daunting thing to even have to accept. And so if I accept that that's a reality, mm-hmm. I, I have to do these things or I have to accept the fact that I'm purposefully not doing them. Right. Or I can just choose to be in, you know, kind of a weird denial and be like, well, I don't, I, what are, what's the likelihood of that actually happening? You know, and right. you, this whole other thing. So, right. I think we go through that a lot, especially as colleague guys, you know, it's like, well, you know, when are you going to need to know how to use a knife? You know, for yeah. like, first of all, I mean, you know, I live in Texas and this state is a, you know, gun loving state. I mean, that's yeah. what it is kind of a stereotype, but I mean, and you know, living here in the Dallas area, I mean, that is true to some extent. I mean, if I, you know, tell people I teach knife combat, they're like, Oh, well, why don't you just shoot the guy? You know, that's kind yeah. of a common thing. And the other end of the spectrum on the martial arts. end, if you talk to the MMA guys or the Muay Thai guys, it's like, well, why would you have to do that? Like, what do you think? Are you yeah. a criminal? So it's like where we're at, we're in a very unique kind of place, but I think, in the next few years, and I think this would actually make a really great podcast episode. You know, Kali is Kali the next big thing. I think that'd be a great topic. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah. I mean, it's like, but I think without getting into it too deep, because I do want to kind of tie this off, because uh, we could go. You know, I can. You know, you and I can go on for like hours. I mean, this could be yeah. like a ten-hour episode. But, um, I really do think that as a Kali practitioner, it's gonna it's gonna be your responsibility, my responsibility, our generation's responsibility to kind of carry on that torch to the next one. Like right now, yeah. as you know, my son's in the other room and he's playing. And, you know, I don't know if he'll ever take Kali as seriously as me. I would hope that he – it is going to be part of his life. I don't know if it yeah. will be – he's going to be, you know, uh, an instructor or whatever. I mean, that's what I would love to groom him for. But, of course, I want him to pursue his his dreams, whatever they may be. But I do know that for our generation, it's our duty now to kind of carry that on carry that torch to keep that fire burning for that next generation and to do that we need to know who we are as Kali practitioners we need to know what Kali is right yeah and we need to know how it differentiates from everything else you know I I, when I would mention oh I'm a weapons guy I think when I I would go to these kickstart kids karate conferences I would sit down with a room full of black belts and I'd sit down with a group of guys I didn't know what do you do oh I I am a weapons guy I don't Mm -hmm. say I'm gonna scream a door I'm a weapons guy. I'm not yeah. saying I can't do other things, but that's what I do. And the moment they say weapons guy, the first thing that pops in these guys' heads, I'm one of those dudes with a plastic staff that twirls it around on stage <laughs> on ESPN2. Yeah. They think yeah. I'm like the guy who flips the commas and all that stuff. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not that guy. Yeah. I'm. That's not – I know that in your in their mind they've already created a picture. Yeah. I mean, no, that's not me. I'm not that weapons guy. I'm not the weapons forms guy. I'm part of a system that teaches you how to use weapons for real. And then that goes into a whole different like plane of thought for them. They don't understand why that's even valid. But I think that it's good. We definitely got into a lot of really good things today. I think it's really good that we were able to define it. And, you know, the idea that Kali is more than just a set of techniques. It's more than a way a system looks. It's the mindset. It's Mm -hmm. the blade mindset, the tribal family mindset. And also it is a mindset of what solves the problem that's in front of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah. So you yeah. have anything else to add? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, this this topic can obviously, like what you said, can branch off into a million, million different streams and mm-hmm. different uh, directions. Uh, it's funny with the MMA or martial arts guys and then how they interpret, uh, especially like blade guys. I'm I'm part of a group, you know, someone, I, my actual friends in real life who I, you know, have some interaction with is just more than just responding to threads where people will just, they will criticize Kali to talk about how like these knife uh whatever knife disarms or whatever just would never work in real life they'll never work in the street and i will be like yes i agree but then they don't want to learn how to use a weapon offensively mm-hmm. you know and so it's just so i mean it's just a weird thing i think some of it too is uh not necessarily our responsibility but i think definitely for our own tribe our own families and our own networks to try to convey mm-hmm. uh the relevant relevance of that like like what kind of like echoing what you said my son may never be so into filipino martial arts as i am but uh just like with exercise or diet or like treating treating his significant other you know respectfully Mm -hmm. uh you don't have to be exercise fanatic you don't have to exercise and movement that should always be part of it like Mm -hmm. as a not just part of his family uh, and I would assume with part of yours too, They're, they can do whatever they want, except that they, we won't really allow them to be worthless. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there are parts of, uh, I mean, he can do whatever he wants to a point. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let him just like sit around and do nothing, right. you know? No, um, but certainly like, I, I, I think it was good to help define, define what Kali is with the understanding that there's some I don't want to say strict parameters, but there's some definitive parameters. Right. And then there's a whole lot of expression in it too. And I think that's part of Kali too. Right. You know, that like, Pamana uh, Tohan will call it Icho. You know, like everyone has their own. Mm-hmm. And so um, the way that one person does things doesn't necessarily mean uh, it would look the same if you did it in the truest expression of what you were trying to do. Right. So. Absolutely. Dude, this was an awesome discussion. We'll definitely bring you back on and we're going to talk about a gajillion other topics i'm sure yeah. but dude thank you for joining me today man it was a lot of fun catching up and talking about yeah, this man awesome. i always love talking to you bud we'll have to do the we'll have to do the other one like the marvel team up kind of thing where you're on my podcast too dude yeah we'll make, we'll make it happen yeah man this is an awesome time thank you brother i appreciate it man yeah all right yeah. mike all all right, guys, so that is my interview with Guru Joy Marana out of Baltimore, Maryland. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 11. And if I could kindly ask if you guys could leave a review for us on iTunes. Um, it would really mean a lot to us. Uh, it helps our page visibility and definitely helps get the Binding Warrior message out there. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you in episode 12. Take care. God bless and become the hero in your life.